Welcome to Upstream Downstream, a lively civil discussion devoted to the political, policy, and cultural topics that often divide us. Upstream Downstream is presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University in cooperation with WSHC-FM. Here's your host, David Welch. Welcome to Upstream Downstream. I'm Bianca Eisen, sitting in for David Welch. On April 6th, the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications hosted another installment of its popular public forums, the American Conversation Series. This one was entitled The Isms, Facts and Myths About Socialism, Capitalism, and Populism. The panel consisted of Dr. Gary Wolfram, professor and expert in free market capitalism from Hillsdale College, Dr. Yasha Monk, a writer and educator who has written on the rise of populism and is a professor at John Hopkins, and Dr. Art Holtzlag, a political science professor at Shepherd University. The hour-and-a-half discussion has been condensed with a focus on the discussion around capitalism and socialism. Paul Solman, moderator and a longtime NewsHour correspondent, begins the conversation by having the guests define exactly what these isms mean. Let's start out by just doing the basic definitions of these so-called isms or economic isms for the most part. And so, Gary, if you'd, you'd kick us off, capitalism was kind of a dirty word when it was first used, uh, derogatory at any rate. But what is capitalism in your what's your definition of capitalism? Well, my definition of capitalism is a. Um, that it's not big government getting together with big, uh, big business and doing things to make themselves better off. I mean, that's oftentimes how it's portrayed. Um, it's really what uh, Friedrich Hayek, uh, who won the Nobel Prize in economics, um, and what he calls a social order. Um, and basically, it's how we organize ourselves, both economically and, and politically. And one of the foremost things about it, it's based on private property rights. Um, you own your property, you own your body, you own your car, um, and the government doesn't own it, uh, as opposed to other forms of uh, how we might organize ourselves uh, as, you know, as we talk about communism or socialism, etc. So it's really based on the ownership of private property. And what Hayek points out is that Private property creates a sphere of free action where you can act according to your own plan. You decide uh, what you're going to buy. You decide how you're going to uh, how you're going to work. You decide uh, what school you're going to go to. Um, and private property rights creates this sphere of free action. Um, the government. You know, as you know, the government just can't break into your house and the government can't just break into your car. Um, it has to, you know, it has to get permission to do that sort of thing. Um, and the it also is a system of limited government. That is, capitalism is not about anarchy. Um, uh, Ludwig von Mises pointed this out in, a, in, a, in an interesting little book that I recommend to everybody. It's called Liberalism uh, in the Classical Tradition that he wrote in 1927, uh, where he actually he predicted the Great Depression. He predicted World War II. He predicted the fascists would start World War II. He predicted that prohibition would fail, all based on how the political philosophy had moved away uh, from a system of limited government to systems of government intervening in the economy and intervening in uh, in people's actions. So you need a government uh, to protect the property rights. 
and so, uh, but that means that government also has to be limited. Uh, as uh, Hayek points out that what he calls information is decentralized. That means that it, it is clear that only I know how many hot dogs I'm going to want next week. Uh, there's no way that any of this, you know, the central planner, uh, Joe, Joe Biden can't possibly know how many peanuts I'm going to want or, uh, you know, whether we should be putting oil into the production of, of uh, gasoline or putting into the production of home heating oil. Individuals know that. And because it's um, decentralized, the best way to make use of this information is we all get to act according to our own plan. That is, we get to decide and, and uh, you know, what we're going to buy and where we're going to work. And Hayek even points out that we may not know what is the, you know, what we should be doing, we, but we have to have the ability to experiment. We have to go out and be able to, uh, to try it. And I think most importantly uh, for people's perspectives is that capitalism is a system of voluntary exchange. That is, um, I can't force you to buy my product. Um, I can't force you to hire me. Um, you can't uh, force me uh, to work for you. Uh, everything that's done in a market system, in a market system of cap what we call capitalism here, um, this system of capitalism, everything is done based on voluntary exchange. Um, just, I mean, just think about it. When you walk into the Walmart, um, they don't start putting all sorts of stuff into your cart and force you to, to uh, pay for it as you go out. Uh, no, nor do you get to throw stuff in your cart and you just say at the checkout counter, oh, I'm going to give you 10 bucks for the whole thing, right? Mr. Walmart puts on, you know, the package of donuts. Here's how much you have to pay me. And if you want to, then you can take it. And if you don't want to, then don't take it. In addition, that the, all the people that are standing at the checkout counter, um, I don't know about other places, but in Hillstead, we don't have vans that go around and, and grab people up and, uh, you know, chain them to the checkout counters at, at, at the Walmart. If they're standing, anybody that's standing there at the Walmart checkout counter must think that they're better off doing that than whatever else they could have done. Otherwise, there'd be somewhere else. Um, it, it, you know, they're being paid what, what economists call their opportunity cost. What's the value of their next best alternative? And what the system ends up with is a, what I, I always point out to my students, in fact, so often that they made a uh, cut for me that says this, that 9 million people woke up in New York City today and there was exactly the right amount of Starbucks coffee and exactly the right amount of peanuts and exactly the right amount of toilet paper. Let's just be amazed at that and ask ourselves, how in the world does this happen? And the way it happens is because of capitalism and prices. So, so this, this is, the essence of it is a free market system, a market of free or relatively free exchange between people who are not constrained by government to price things as they wish or buy things as they wish. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. And if and if the price, if there's too much of something, the price will fall. And if there's too little of something, the price will rise. When we talk about regulation, I mean, uh, so th there's things that what economists call uh, externalities in that um, if you are uh, a factory and you're, um, you know, making steam or something like that, and uh, noxious hydrocarbons are going out into the atmosphere or um, let's say sulfur dioxide is going out into the atmosphere, you're not counting that in your, uh, when you make your 
um, uh, decision about how much to produce. And you're imposing costs on other people that are not being picked up in the price system. And in that case, when things aren't being picked up in the price system, then then you have uh, an, an example where you need to have government regulation in order to uh, make the system work more efficiently. And so there and there would be, therefore, a range of ways and policies with respect to what people consider to be negative externalities or side effects of, of mm-hmm. what you're doing. Fair? Yes. Yes. OK, great. So uh, capitalism, we've now agreed on roughly what it is and that there's a range art socialism. Uh, so uh, I think that in, in the U.S. we, we tend to, um, to define socialism in contrast to capitalism. Of course, socialism goes from the, uh, if you go the Marxist tradition of socialism, from the, the failure of the capitalist system, of the capitalist economic system, and then specifically uh, of the, uh, uh, the things that capitalism does not provide for. Uh, and um, but in, in principle, I think it is a little uh, too short sighted to look at uh, socialism just in contrast to capitalism. Uh, I think that uh, we have to put it in a much more societal uh, context that socialism, especially in the way that it is being practiced in, uh, in, in many parts of the world, uh, it, the prior, priority lies much more on societal issues. And uh, that means that uh, rather than uh, focusing on uh, the means of production uh, as a, uh, a public good rather than a private good as capitalism would define it, uh, that I think that we should uh, put more emphasis on the, uh, the principles of community and equality. And especially equality of opportunity uh, is a very uh, big principle for uh, socialism. Uh, meaning that uh, there are all kinds of obstacles in the way of individuals uh, to have the same opportunity as uh, everybody else. And so the role here of um, of the government would be to take away some of those obstacles or uh, for the society to take away uh, some of those obstacles. Uh, and that, of course, is only possible if we have a, a more communitarian sense, if we see the, um, the importance of uh, us as human beings as part of our, us as individuals as part of a larger society and the impact, the reciprocity of my actions versus the actions of other individuals in society. And so... Uh, I think these are very important uh, issues and to create uh, equal opportunity, uh, the economic uh, redistribution uh, serves as a tool to create a better, uh, a better equal opportunity for individuals. Um, and I think that um, that means that in different uh, variants of socialism, we see uh, possibilities of, uh, of public and private uh, ownership of means of production. Uh, 
uh, it also means that for, for socialism, democracy is a very important point. Um, and contrary to what many people think, um, the idea of individual freedom in the form of choice uh, plays a role in socialism. Now, that choice is, of course, restricted uh, in the, um, by the choices, uh, how choices affect the choices of other people. Uh, but that is not that different from capitalism, I would argue. Uh, and um, in the end, of course, it, uh, the, the, the objection, because, of course, socialism is an ideal, uh, is to create a form of self-realization. Um, I want to keep it to that for the moment. Is socialism, you know, Gary said that capitalism is freedom to make choices. Government is out of the picture as much as possible, although there are negative externalities and so forth that gov where government may have to intervene. Is socialism more nearly something that is uh, an economic system that is negotiated through government, that government just plays a much larger role. Communism, presumably, is there's no state at all and everybody owns everything. But we're not doing communism tonight. Socialism is, is not socialism. So, so first, I object to it as a social system, well, as an economic system. Sorry. Yeah, but, I, I would object to that. I think it's a social system. Uh, that has economic and political aspects. But uh, to define it as an economic system, I think, is, is, is rather problematic. And, uh, of course, that part of that has to do with the link to Marxism, um, uh, which, of course, is, is very highly based on the economic uh, analysis of Marx uh, and Engels, of course. Um, now... Uh, your other question of um, of participation, uh, the idea in socialism is yeah that everybody in the community uh, would have participation in uh, both the economic system and the societal system. Yes. Okay, uh, Gary, you are, do you buy this definition? Um, I I have a little bit of a problem with that in that um, I, I I believe the social order an important point of the social order is the economic system. And one of the things that happens in capitalism uh, where you get to act according to your own plan, but you get rewarded for the things that you do that turn out well, and you get disciplined for the things that you don't do well, it's going to result in an inequality of income. That, that, that has to happen. It has to happen because people have different ability or some have more luck and others have less luck or both. That's exactly right. You can get both. lucky. Uh, it's both. Yes, okay. exactly. Can I respond to that? Yeah, sure. Uh, because I think that um, in uh, socialism, the idea is not so much that uh, we all have the same income. Uh, this, uh, the, the possibility is there for everybody to have the choice uh, as to how much we want to work, uh, what we want to work. Uh, and that then has uh, different repercussions. Yeah, if I want to work more, I will earn more. If I work less, I will earn less. Yeah, the, the idea here is equal opportunity. How I work that out is a very different issue.
You're listening to Upstream Downstream, sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. We are revisiting the ISMS panel, hosted on April 6th. While the panel included the topic of populism, this excerpt focuses on the conversation around capitalism, represented by Dr. Gary Wolfram, and socialism, represented by Dr. Art Holtzlag. Here's the panel's moderator, Al Solman. Right. And so there's this distinction between private ownership, which is where Gary started, and more nearly collective ownership through the state or by some other means. Art, do you accept that what you're talking about is social democracy, that that definition of socialism? Um, yes and no. <laughs> Meaning that... <laughs> Just say um, yes, and that would make it easier. <laughs> yeah, it would be. But, you know... Um, I know, I know. The, the curse of the academic. I think if we look at uh, what is it, Northeastern Airlines, uh, where the uh, the ownership of the company is with the uh, with, with the employees, uh, those are forms of uh, of socialist uh, economy. Um, now, um, I, I do agree that social democracy, and which is of course where I grew up, uh, that that is a, a very mild form of socialism and is not comparable to uh, uh, state socialism uh, as we see it in um, in, in Venezuela, uh, Cuba, or, uh, or or China. Uh, uh, or North Korea, uh, although you can wonder about that even. Uh, so um, I think that's uh, those are forms that the ideology takes on. Um, that is different from the ideology itself. And so the ideology can take can take different forms, uh, how it is being put into practice. Now, one of the big problems of socialism uh, is, of course, how to design a society in which uh, those ideals can be brought uh, to work. And, and there we can, you know, there, there's a lot to be said about that. Capitalism, we agree about. Socialism, there's, there's wiggle room here with respect to how far you want to go and whether or not it's an economic system, I think, about which we disagree. My own position has, on this has been that socialism simply, you know, very simplistically defined is how much is the state involved in the economy and how much is, isn't it? And in a place, some of these Scandinavian countries, let's leave Venezuela out of it, which is verging on a failed state anyway at this point. But for the very successful Scandinavian economies, 50, 60 percent of the economy is through the state. And in the United States, what is it, Gary? 30 percent less, something like that? Probably. Actually, yeah. it sounds like what we're talking about is the index of economic freedom. I don't know if you're if the audience yeah. is familiar with that, um, but the Heritage Foundation has one and uh, the Fraser Institute has one where they rank countries from, uh, com you know, completely free capitalist to down to, uh, the you know, totally socialist communist. So I think that's sort of what art is bringing in that that, you know, there is a range of things that you would call socialism. Yeah, and I, I, my own simplistic way of doing it is to say, okay, United States, Singapore is way off and, and uh, on one tail of the distribution, if you think about how, how socialist or ca capitalist you are, that's very capitalist. And then you move over and you move and move towards Scandinavia at about, well, 60%, and then, and then on to countries which uh, 
<laughs> are greater than 60 percent and and have a real problem and aren't doing as well as, as Scandinavia. Where where the next question I was going to ask and, and Gary, you've you've segued us into that. Where does the United States fit on this? If, the, if there is a spectrum, again, we're, we're we're debating a little bit what socialism is. But if there's a spectrum on how much freedom, how much free market versus a market that is more nearly uh, mediated by the state, uh, where are we at the moment, Gary? And where are we with respect to where we've been historically? United States, that is. Well, I think the United States is still um, one of the more capitalist countries, uh, certainly in the top third or whatever. Um, but it has certainly drifted uh, in and out, actually, Um I think that uh, when, you know, Reagan came in, he was called the great communicator because he was able to quickly uh, point out some of the flaws with uh, when government intervenes in, in the economy. Um, and but again, it's important that the government protect property rights. It's important that the government be involved in what we called negative externalities or or even what we call um, public goods. That is, um, if you look at national defense, Okay, um, national defense is hard to be provided by a private company because if I build an anti-ballistic missile system, uh, how can I exclude your house from it? Uh, and so, if we said, "Oh, how much would you be willing to pay to have the anti-ballistic missile system?" You'd probably say, "I don't want to pay anything because you can't be excluded." So there are types of goods that only government is really capable of of providing. Um, so the, I, I think that that, that in the last um, in the last thirty years or so, we've been drifting more and more away from sort of the more free market capitalist system that I've been talking about, and more towards a uh, you know more towards arts the idea of a, a system where. Uh, the government intervenes in order to uh, do certain things. But Gary, I mean, in the 1930s through the 1940s and arguably well beyond that and through the 1960s, there was wasn't there much more of what kind of art is talking about in the sense that America was moving towards more government involvement in the economy, more emphasis on uh, freedom or, or uh, access to opportunity and so forth. I mean, you think that in the last few decades, we've been moving back towards the what people called at the time, what, what critics called at the time, a socialist economy in the United States, right? Yes, it, there, it's very clear that um, when we had Franklin Roosevelt as president, I mean, there was definitely a movement. And that's, and, and, and that's why Mises wrote his book in 1927, actually, because he was observing um, fascism with which is central planning uh, uh going on in italy and germany and he was uh seeing that well, we're developing socialism uh, uh more uh like art was talking about in uh in uh great britain and populism in the united states this, this definitely this movement towards more government and more central planning and um i think that that then we you know we drift back and forth actually over time and uh and i think that we're on the in the last while we were sort of on the trend towards more of the um not necessarily towards a a full-out socialist system but more towards a franklin roosevelt sort of area 
But we were talking about where the United States stands. Uh, there are those who, who think that the United States is way more socialist than it ever was. And you were suggesting that it was going back in that direction. But we didn't include the populist dimension here. Gary, I'm going to go back to you here. How populist is America becoming or how vulnerable is it to the kinds of concerns with respect to populism? Well, I think that it is it is vulnerable. Uh, and again, I think it's because like the purpose of, of our uh, program here is to get people to understand what we're talking about. Right. Um, and and like I said, one of the things that that we need to, to focus on, I believe, is the what again what i said mises talked about the unintended consequences of things happening by the way um, just so people understand there's a guy named ludwig von mises he was a german famous german conservative economist who talked about the the value of the market system and the problems with de deviating from it okay yes that's exactly right and and he was the one i was saying in 1927 wrote the book liberalism and the classical tradition yeah. where he talked about all these things happening but one of the things that he pointed out was that once government intervenes in the system, it causes unintended consequences that people weren't thinking about. Then what happens is that people ask the government to fix the unintended consequences, which lead to more unintended consequences. And so he argues that you end up with more and more government intervention and a movement away from the capitalist system, more towards a system of uh, lots of central planning. Uh, and I think what we need to do is to to realize, hey, if I mean, this just as an aside, what if you took minimum wage, for example, um, if you did a minimum wage? Well, yeah, that some people are going to get laid off. Right. If I, I can't pay you uh, fifteen dollars an hour, if you can only produce ten dollars an hour worth of stuff, but not everybody's going to get laid off. And so if you want to have a minimum wage, I always argue that, OK, Go ahead and, and, and have one if you believe that the benefits are greater than the cost, but you can't ignore the cost. So some people are going to lose their job. Uh, and to ignore that fact leads you to public policies that you wouldn't otherwise have. And I think populism has a tendency to ignore these uh, or to, to overlook these unintended consequences of what the, what the uh, populist uh, program would be. All right. So so populism ignores the central concept of economics, which is that you weigh costs against benefits. If the benefits are greater than the costs, you do it. If the costs are greater than the benefits, you don't. Right. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say that it ignores it, but it certainly overlooks a number of the costs of these things. Art, populism. As far in the United States, I, I haven't even said how uh, socialism versus capitalism, but uh, <laughs> which I have quite some comments on, because I think that uh, we have to see that um, the, 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 Roosevelt, uh, the Roosevelt New Deal was, an, of course, in relation also to the economic depression, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that we then, um, I think... At the moment, we are indeed, in my mind, also in a situation where the United States population is much more open uh, to some socialist ideas. The American public is more open 
And I'm not saying that there is massive support, but is more open to a welfare state idea uh, than it was before. I think that the rising inequality uh, between between the high earners, yeah, the, the 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 CEOs, and the common people, the workers, has gone so far that uh, many again of the younger generations have seen their parents, their grandparents, always been in that situation, and so the American dream, the idea that everybody can make it. And be better off than their parents. And be better off than their parents has become an illusion to many of the younger generation. As a TV reporter for 35, 36, 7, whatever it is, years, I've stopped counting. The When you get to these kinds of issues, how do you construct a policy so that it's optimal with respect to everybody with regard to, in this case, health insurance? It's just... I don't want to do that story <laughs> and, and I don't want to have this discussion here because there are so many nuances and so many subtleties to how you actually construct such a policy. The full discussion is available on the Stubblefield Institute Facebook page, as well as our YouTube channel. You can help sponsor programs like the ISMS or even the show by becoming a friend of the Institute. Just go to stubblefieldinstitute.org and make your gift. Until next week, I'm Bianca Eisen. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Upstream Downstream, presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. To learn more about the Stubblefield Institute or to become a friend of the Institute, please go online to stubblefieldinstitute.org.